you ever noticed how it seems one church is fighting over another church? We as Christians are supposed to love and support our fellow Christians. We hope that you are encouraged to look beyond denominations and see your brothers and sisters in Christ as you join us in the message entitled, The Insincere Gospel. Our text is Philippians chapter 1. You want to turn there? This is a text message from God. Amen. Everybody say, Yahoo! Oh boy, God has sent me a text message. Amen. Praise God. Philippians chapter 1. Title of the message this morning is The Insensitive Gospel. The Insincere, I'm sorry. The Insincere Gospel. says in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as in my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord wax confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Father God, we just come before your throne this morning. We thank you, Lord, again for your word. God, you sent your word every time we need it, God. Lord, you speak to us just in the moment that we need. Lord, you said you would send the Holy Spirit, God, to comfort us, to lead us, to teach us. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, every day you're with us. Lord, you said, in fact, you would never leave us nor forsake us. And God, we thank you that you're our constant help in the time of need. And Father, we are a needy people, Lord. And uh, we need you every moment of every day. And we thank you, God, that you're always there. Now, Lord, I thank you this morning that you have sent your word. God, I ask that you anoint me right now that I could preach the things that you won't say here this morning. Help me to bring out the truths, God, that are relevant to the lives and hearts of the Central Virginia people, Lord, and those that are hearing this message anywhere around on the Internet, around the world, God, that it would be an inspiration to them and encourage them, God, to let them know that, Lord, you're for them and not against them, God. You're with us to help us, God, to see victory in our lives. We ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was really wrestling about what to preach this morning, and I came across the book of Philippians. And this is, this is I guess, one of the, I don't know, I have all kind of favorites, but this is another one of my favorites, uh, epistles in the New Testament, because Paul is writing to these people because he dearly, dearly loves the Philippian church. And uh, he's writing to them, um, and you can kind of see that. The whole theme of the book actually is about the joy of the Lord. And uh, so he's writing to them, and this should really be important to us 
Because the Philippian church was actually the very first Gentile church or the church in Europe. See, let me back up to where this all began because the Apostle Paul was actually going throughout Asia Minor preaching on his first missionary journey. Then he came back, he and Barnabas, you know, and and they're getting ready to go out again. And there was a contention rose between Paul and Barnabas because of Barnabas' nephew who went with him on the first missionary journey, John Mark. And he had deserted him in Pamphylia. And so... Paul, he's got this very strong personality, you know. He's an in-charge, take-charge guy, and he's he's a no-nonsense kind of a guy. And um, John Mark was young, and he was uh, immature. And in Paul's eyes, he wasn't ready to go back out on another missionary journey. Well, Barnabas, Barnabas, he's just, he doesn't see wrong in anybody. Bless his heart. He just, everything is good, and it's like there's nothing wrong with anybody, and he just wants to comfort people, you know. There's people in the ministry like that. There's some people that just see things like they are, and there's other people that see things like they think it ought to be, you know, and they just want to comfort people. Well, they got into this big argument about John Mark, and Paul says he's not going. Barnabas says, yes, he is. And so it became so uh, stiff between them that they separated. And Barnabas took John Mark and went his way, and Paul took a man named Silas and went his way. And in both of those, there were neither one of them wrong or neither one. Well, they were both right, actually, because um, what Paul had to do, I believe, he didn't have time to play nursemaid to an immature Christian. I mean, not to be ugly, but he didn't. You know, in fact, when he gets to Philippi, John Mark would have never made it, you know. Um, But also, John Mark needed somebody that would be patient and loving and kind. That's why God puts Barnabases in our midst. Amen. Um, I, I, I try to work towards being a Barnabas, but sometimes I'm more like Paul, you know, it's, I, I, I'm patient to a point, you know, or tolerant, maybe I should say to a point and then enough's enough, you know, <laughs> grow up, get over it. Amen. We awful quiet this morning, you know, but some people, brother, they just got the patience of Job and, and Barnabas, you know, I, I, I love having those folks around, you know. And so anyway, we need them both. And as it turned out, actually, later on in the ministry, Paul said, you know, I, I now have need of John Mark. Send him to me. And that would have never happened if it hadn't been for Barnabas, you know. Uh, but yet Paul realized he, he's mature now. I, I can use him to do what God has called me to do. And so anyway, they're going. Uh, Paul and Silas is going throughout Asia Minor there, and they're getting ready to go in one direction, and the Holy Spirit forbade them to go there. Told him, no, I don't want you to go up there. I don't want. He forbade them to preach in, in Asia, and that occurred to me that sometimes God may tell you not to go and preach in a certain place. You know, the children of Israel followed the cloud when it moved. When it didn't move, they didn't move. You know, we need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit sometimes, because sometimes we just part straight ahead and we don't think about what we're doing. We just do it, you know, and. Sometimes I think we need to get before God and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? He may say, I don't want you to go there. You know, because the Holy Spirit forbade them to go there, forbade them to preach the gospel in Asia. And so they, they turned to go in a different direction. They towards, uh, ter, towards, turned, I'm sorry, towards Bethanium. And he said the Spirit wouldn't allow them to go there either. And so they went on through Mycenae, and then they went on down to Troas. And when they were in Troas, the Bible says that uh, Paul had a vision of a man standing in Macedonia saying, Come over here and help us. Now, church, I want you to know something. Something was birthed that day that is continuing to this very day right here. We are here today because of that vision. Because he turned and went to Europe, and most of the... American people of the continent was settled by the people that were impacted from that revival when Paul went to Philippi and went to uh, Europe. And, of course, our forefathers came here as a part of that revival, actually, and settled this country. And so we're kind of the DNA of that, that vision that happened there that day. And when Paul went over there, he found some women praying and Man, where would the church be if it hadn't been for praying women? Amen? Guys, I'm glad to see a lot of men in the church today. If you looked around and noticed how many men come to this church? Brother, that's out of the norm now. I've been in church all my life. 
There's a lot of guys in here. And brother, I'm going to tell you, men, you're men's men. All right? It takes a man to stand up for Jesus Christ. A lot of people think it's weakness to stand up for Jesus. Oh, no. No, it, weakness goes with the crowd. It takes a man to stand up and face the crowd and say, no, I'm not going with the crowd. I'm going to be different. And in my opinion, you're, you're men among men. And I applaud you for being there. But that hadn't always been the case. He found women there praying. And Paul goes down to them, finds a lady named Lydia. You know, and she's, God just touches her. Luke is from Philippi. And, and, and just think about this. We wouldn't have the book of Luke. We wouldn't have the book of Acts if he hadn't gone to Philippi. Luke was converted as a part of that revival. And so they go down there and, and uh, um, he's preaching the gospel there and he's wandering around, uh, walking around there and there's this lady following him around. Saying, hear these men. These are great men of God. Sounds good, doesn't it? But she had the spirit of divination. She was demon-possessed. And it was a mocking spirit. Following them around. And finally, Paul, he just had enough of it. You know that? I don't, I'm not taking it anymore. And he turns around and casts the demon out of the woman. Well, as a result of that... The man that owned her, she was actually a slave girl. He made a lot of money off of this spirit in her telling fortunes and different things. Not that they could tell fortunes, but people believe that stuff. I mean, they go to psychics every day and get their fortune told. Well, if they could tell a fortune, they would uh, probably saw that they were going to go out of business on psychic news network, wouldn't it? Well, anyway, that's another subject, but... So anyway, he casts the demon out of this man's mad, so he brings him before the magistrate. The magistrate beats them, throws them in prison. And while they're in prison, the Bible says that Paul and Silas, about midnight, begin to praise and worship the Lord. And said that the jail doors were shaken open, and that they came, uh, the, the uh, prisoner, uh, the guard, was going to kill himself. And uh, he said, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. You know, and so uh, we we see that uh, beautiful picture of uh, the guard giving his heart to Christ. You remember, he said, "How, Paul? Paul, what must I do to be saved?" We see that in Acts chapter sixteen. He says, "It brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved?'" And he said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house." And so we see the Philippian jailer get saved. And you know, I've wondered from time to time if he became the pastor of the church. In Philippi, the Bible doesn't really say. Um, but anyway, as a result of that, uh, God uh, God built a beautiful relationship between Paul and this church. And so, actually, this letter he's writing back to them uh, is a it's a letter of compassion that he has for them. It's a letter of affection, and he's actually thanking them uh, because they have uh, ministered to his need a, a couple of different times. They've sent him a gift, and and he's thanking them for that. Uh, but it's also a, a warning to the church, and that's kind of what I want to focus in on just a little bit this morning, because any time I see a warning in the Scripture, I stop and take note of that. Because if you see a bus coming, and you tell me there's a bus coming, and I'm just standing there, that'd be pretty not smart, right? You know, I don't expect you to come over there and push me out of the way. You just tell me there's a bus going to run over you, and I'm going I'm to move. And so um, if there's a warning there, I want to see it. And so he's warning us about some things in the Scripture, in the, uh, in the book of Philippians, and he's warning us that this, there was an insincere gospel being preached there. There was a contentious spirit there. You know, and I also thought about this. It made me, just made me wonder. Because I, I, I've learned a little bit about the spiritual realm you know, the Scripture talks about that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, you know. That's princes. That's high-ranking high, high demon spirits. And we also learn from Scripture that they rule over regions in different areas. You know, Daniel was praying, and the angel came and fought through in 21 days, and he said, Daniel, I would have been here on day one, but the prince of Persia withstood me. This demon spirit withstood me that I couldn't get to you with the answer. And when I leave, I got to go fight the prince of Grecia. So that tells me there's spiritual powers that rule over different areas, at least in the Old Testament. And so here Paul goes there, and there's this spiritual atmosphere there of deception. Because here's this demon-possessed girl going around acting all like she's 
in favor of what they're doing. But she's not sincere. And it just made me wonder when he starts, this is years later. In fact, this is A.D. 61. He's right at the end of his ministry. He's going to die in six years. He's going to be martyred. And so it's towards the end of his ministry that he's writing this book. And he's writing about the insincere gospel that is being preached in your midst. And I had to wonder, God, is there, was there some kind of an atmosphere, in, spiritual atmosphere in that area where there was a, like more deception than in other places? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that, but it just made me wonder. And then it got me to thinking about what is the prevalent spirit where we live? You know, not to get all hokey about it, but I, I just wonder. You know, and I think you can kind of pick up on some of those things. You know, is there, is there an overabundance of anger, rage, murder, you know, homosexuality? Abortion, the different things that kind of tip you off of what is prevalent in operating in those areas, you know. Uh, it would be nice to know those things, I think, so you can kind of direct your prayers a little more specific. Amen? And so those are just some thoughts that I had about the subject anyway. But he tells them in verse 15, uh, he, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some of goodwill. The one preaches of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. That's never made sense to me. God didn't save us to go around and criticizing each other. Amen? He told us to love each other and encourage each other. And so much more as we see that day approaching. Why in the world do Christians attack other Christians? That just... Has never made sense to me. And we find in James, the third chapter, he talks about the same thing. He said, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it is earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. And where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So you just think about that a minute. Here's Paul trying to bring the gospel message to the church at Philippi. And here he's got this church launched that they're preaching. And he said, look, there's people running around and they're preaching not to bring you the good news. They're preaching to try to hurt me. Their whole focus is to hurt me. And the Bible says where that is going on, he said, there is every evil work. Now, brother, I'm telling you, well, there's a whole lot of evil work talked about in the Scripture. And you think about that, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. And we've got to be careful about this thing, folks. How we approach other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not talking about people in our church. I'm talking about the church down the road, the one this way. We need to be very careful how we approach them. Now, I don't have to agree with them, and I don't agree with a lot of things that they do, but I'm not going to attack them. And that's what he's talking about. Because there was a group of preachers during this time, and their whole mission in life was to contradict what Paul was doing and saying. And it wasn't just that they disagreed with him, it was personal attacks against him. He said in verse 18, 15, let me read verse 15 through 18 again. He says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, but some of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of a contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Because Paul's in prison, see? It's not bad enough the guy's in jail. They want him dead. I mean, they just want harm to come to him. He says, but the others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. He's not just saying just lay down and let them wipe their feet on you. I mean, we are to defend the gospel. We're not to agree with them. But he's talking about attacking them. What then? Notwithstanding everywhere where in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I there and do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. See, it's one thing to defend the gospel. The Bible tells us to contend for the faith. Amen. Last week I talked about being a violent Christian. I mean, we need to fight the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Now, that's one thing, but um, 
It's, but to disagree with their doctrine, that's, that's fine. But it's a whole different thing when you start attacking people. We, we just uh, shared earlier that we had a prayer breakfast for the local pastors. Uh, before the end of the year, God just began to stir in my spirit. Bernie, we need to pull the ministries in this area together somehow. And uh, you need to get actively involved in that. Because God's been stirring me in this direction for 20-some years. I've been here for 22 years, and this has just been a burden on my heart ever since I've been here. Jesus prayed I would that we would be one. He wasn't just talking about the assemblies of God or the Baptists or the Method. He said, I want us all to be one. Even as you and I are one, Father. So we got a different label over the door. That's, that's fine. You know, that identifies some particulars about who we are and our church government and where we came from and our ancestors and all that. But, folks, we got to agree on something here. Unless we agree, how can you, to, uh, to walk in agreement, how can, they, how can they serve God? You know, we need to be in agreement on something. And so Paul's saying, look, these people, they're contending against me. He said, but you know what? At least Christ is being preached. Amen? He said, I don't agree. Paul didn't agree with him. In fact, he said, I'm here for the defense of the gospel. I don't agree with him, but at least Christ is being preached, and I rejoice in that. What, was, what he's actually talking about is there were people there that they were adding conditions to salvation. They were saying, well, if you're going to be saved, but you've got to be circumcised now. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to observe our dietary laws. There's certain things you can't eat and certain things you can't eat. There's holy days that you've got to... And Paul's like, no. No. You By grace are you saved through faith. And that's it. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. By grace you're saved. And they're adding all these things to it. And they were getting lost in the ceremony of salvation, losing totally the, the view of what Christianity was about. And so it wasn't simply that they were trying to disagree with him. They were trying to destroy him. And as I thought about that, you know, I've, I've been doing some studies here lately and going online. And, man, I came across a website the other day. These are all Christian websites now. And it, it goes, they started down the list. Billy Graham exposed, Ray Comfort exposed, uh, Mark Warren exposed. And I mean, every minister of the gospel that I've ever even heard of or thinking of, they're demonizing them. And I'm thinking, good Lord, have mercy. Is anybody saved? In the eyes of these folks, I say, who in the world are these people anyway? This has got to be some anti-Christian denomination or de demonic group or something. And I'm not going to tell you who they are because I'm not here to throw stone or drown an axe. But I flipped down at the bottom of the page when I saw it. I said, I should have known. Because it's a group and then they live to fight. Anything, everything, and especially other Christians that's not in their church. I mean, that is their that's what they're here for, brother. And I'm like, they hung some stuff on our door one day. I, I, man, and I mean, it's just nasty, ugly stuff. Name calling, got curse words in it. <laughs> calling Christians curse names. I'm like, <laughs> it didn't make me mad. I'm, it puzzles me, folks. You profess the name of Jesus. But you attack the body of Christ. How do you do that? The Bible says if you say you love God who you can't see, but you don't love your brother who you can see. And so finally, one day they nailed it on the cross out front. And brother, that crossed the line with me. I took it down. I had a good idea of where it came from. And I went looking for the pastor. I wasn't going to beat the guy up or nothing. I just wanted to talk to him. You know, Really, I wanted to say that. I was like, look, brother, <laughs> I believe you're a Christian. You've trusted Jesus Christ, you know. I, I believe you're a Christian. And let me just tell you my experience. And I was going to just tell him how I met Christ and how I love the Lord. I am your brother in Christ. What is this all about, man? Come on. Let's love each other. Let's stop this. The world is standing around looking at the church squabbling at each other. And they're saying, why on earth would I want to be a part of that? Lord, all i got to do to get a fight is go home. I don't have to go to church. Go to work. I can go out. I can drive down the road and pick a fight, brother. <laughs> Nowadays, son, I mean, they're, they're ready, brother. That road rage is it's bad, you know. I don't have to go to church to fight. And I'm, I'm like, what? 
What is the church doing? What are they thinking? And, I, and, and as I read this, I was like, you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. This kind of spirit's been around a long time. You know, because that, this attitude wants to say who's saved and who isn't. These, these people's like, well, you're, you're not a Christian. I'm like, brother, how can you look in my heart and tell whether I'm a Christian or not? How can I look in your heart and tell whether you're a Christian or not? Folks, we, we need to be careful with that because we're putting ourselves in the place of God. Only God knows what's in your heart. You know, and I've had to rethink some things here lately. Nathan and I, we was having a conversation the other day, you know, because we're getting ready to do, let me just put a plug in for our Wednesday night Bible study. We're getting ready to do uh, the American, the heritage of America. And we're going to talk about our godly foundation. And uh, so we, we've we been talking about some things that we happen to know about our forefathers, that they were associated with some things that we know were demonic. They were actually evil, secret societies and stuff. And uh, what I've had the tendency to do in the past is say, well, they couldn't be godly, not belong to that. But God convicted me a little bit, folks. He's like, who, who do you think you are? How do you know what's in a man's heart? And what the Lord showed me is we, we're, we're guilty of judging people based entirely on their association instead of what they do. That's like saying every person that has their name on the church is a good, devout Christian. Now, let me ask you. We don't know for sure, but I would say we could make a pretty good guess that not everybody that has their name written on the church roll is a good, devout Christian. But if you're going to judge them by their association, you would say that, right? No, we judge them by their doings. And I can say, well, there's nothing in their life that demonstrates Christianity to, to me. You know, so we could, we wouldn't do that with the church. So God convicted me to stop judging them based on their association and consider what they did. And so I started looking at the American heritage and I'm like, wow, these people, I don't know whether they were Christians or not. I don't know if you can be a Christian and belong to that. In my mind, you, you can't, but I, it's not for me to say. That's for God to say. And so, folks, we need as a church to get to some point where we stop trying to be God. Amen. And let God be God. And let's just love people. Paul said, I'm not judging them. I defend the gospel. And whether they're preaching with pretense or whether they're preaching sincerely, it makes no difference to me. I thank God that Jesus Christ is being preached. And I rejoice in that. And so God convicted me about the getting our churches together. And so I, I, I called around. I sent emails out. And I said, we're having a prayer breakfast. And we started it last month in February, the first Friday of the month. I was going to do it in January, but it was just too busy. So I told God last fall, I said, Lord, let me get through the holidays and we'll, we'll do this. And so we had a number of our local pastors come together. And they were from all kinds of different denominations. And you know what? There was a spirit of unity in that room. I didn't know what to expect. But these men just come in there and just loved on each other. They genuinely cared about what each other was going through. And so we met again this past Friday, the first Friday of March. We're going to meet again next Friday. And it's just growing. I hope, man, every pastor in the whole area. I'd love to just pray for all of them, you know. Not that my faith is any greater or my prayer. The Bible says effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I'm not saying my prayers avail any more than theirs does. I, I respect them. I learn from them. And I was sharing with two of them there. One of them, I think, what was he? I, see, I don't even know for sure what they are. And I'm starting to say, you know what? Your label really don't matter right now. You're preaching Jesus Christ. Salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, brother, we can fellowship. You know, I don't. it don't matter to me whether you got to dunk them or not. doesn't matter if you're preaching about, you know, just doctrinal differences that we have. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I, that don't matter. Jesus Christ is being preached, and I'm going to rejoice in that, and we got something we can fellowship on. And so we're coming together. And, and Paul's warning us about that. Be careful that you don't. Start just throwing stones at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he says that is an insincere gospel. Amen? So, I, yes, I disagree with some things that they teach. But I'm not going to attack them. I'm not going to wish evil on them. I'm not going to call them names. I'm not going to destroy or destroy them. Make my gospel insincere. Let me move on here. I'm getting belabored in that point. So let's look real quick at a couple of warnings that he gives us. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, he warns us to keep our heart, our own heart, humble. 
He said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercy, fulfill you my joy. And be ye like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being made and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself unto the obedience of, unto death, even the death of the cross. What is that telling me? If Jesus Christ, he was God, number one. But it says Jesus Christ was in the image of God and he considered it not robbery to be counted equal with God. But he didn't go around all puffed up and arrogant about it. In fact, he humbled himself and came as a servant. And God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who was in the image of God, was equal with God, but he humbled himself and became a servant. Folks, instead of criticizing them, we need to learn to be a servant to them. Amen? And I think that's what he's saying. He's warning us to keep our hearts humble. Second thing he warns us of is antinomianism. I talked about this back in May of last year. Antinomianism. He said, what in the world is an antinomianism? Everybody say antinomianism. I'm going to tell you in a minute. <laughs> there were actually two extremes there. You had the Judaizers, which were following Paul around, saying, oh, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to do this. You've got to do that if you're really going to be a Christian. And then you had the other extreme. It was those who followed the letter of the law. And then you had the antinomian, uh, the antinomians, uh, which pretty much um, didn't believe there was any law. You didn't follow any law. He tells us that in chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren... Be followers together of me, and mark them who walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. I want to stop right there and just show you something. He's not calling these people names, church. Are you seeing the spirit that he's approaching this? He's like, look, I know what they are. I disagree with them. They're walking after the flesh, and I'm warning you about these people. But I'm not here throwing stones at them and calling them names. I tell you this, even weeping, because it grieves my heart. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile bodies into that which is fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What is he saying? He said these people are, they're, they're totally living a total ungodly life. And basically he's, um, well he's talking about this group I happen to know from study that he was referring to this sect that was in the church. These two extremes, the Judaizers who followed the letter of the law and those who were totally against the law, the antinomians. They've always, there's always been a popular position in the church which says we are under grace and not under the law. Ever heard that? Paul dealt with it a whole lot. He dealt with it in Romans 6 where he says, For sin shall have not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid, know you not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, as servants you are whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. So the antinomians, they, they took this concept. We're under grace, hallelujah. We're not under the law anymore. The Judaizers say you've got to do all these things. Man, we don't do none of those things. In fact, we don't even have to obey the universal moral law. You don't even have to be moral. You can be immoral and be a Christian. That's what these people are saying. Because you know there's a universal moral law. No matter where you go, there's a sense of right and wrong. And there's punishment for doing wrong and a reward for doing right. It's, it proves that there's a God. Because everybody has this 
this moral law. But these people have, in their minds and in their practice, did away with morality. Antinomium is from the Greek word anti, meaning opposed or opposite or against. And the last word, the suffix of it is nomos, which means rule or law. So these people are against rules. <laughs> now, some of us would like that. Amen? I don't particularly like some rules, but they're here for a reason. Uh, they're against yeah, taxes, did you say? <laughs> and they're against law. So these false teachers, they had a sense that faith, since faith alone is all that is necessary for salvation, one is free from the moral obligations of law. And they further promoted that the very notion of obedience to God's law is legalism. You've heard that term, I know. We've been accused of many times of being legalistic. And what happens with that? Everybody still with me? Say, uh-huh. Paul warns us about this. He said, in the last days, people will depart from hearing sound doctrine and heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that I can, I can live in an adulterous relationship, that I can do drugs, I can be a homosexual and all these things and still have God's favor. Tell me those things. That the Bible clearly condemns. Tell me those things. And so they heap to themselves having engineers because they don't want to live under God's moral law. The antinomian, they believe that the good life flows from the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Their concept, if it's the Holy Spirit doesn't convict me of a particular thing, it must be all right. So out of this has come a philosophy that says each person must walk his own path and each path is different. So what is a sin to you may not be a sin to me. But folks, if God says it's a sin in the Scripture, then it's a sin. Amen? And it's a sin for you and it's a sin for me. He gives us ten great big ones. Amen? And you can't go out and murder somebody and say, well, that's not, brother, that's not in my law. Bless God. You can't go lie or cheat or steal and say, well, that's not in my moral law list. That's in you. That's a law to you, brother. That's a truth to you. That's not a truth to me. And we think this is a new age teaching, but it's not new. There's nothing new under the Ecclesiastes tells us that. There's nothing new under the sun. What has happened now has always happened in the past. What's happened now, it's, it's, you're going to see it repeated in the future. So then he warns us of another thing. He said, keep the right perspective about your own personal walk. You are not perfect. And you never will be. Philippians chapter 3, 12, it says, Not as though I have already obtained, either have already uh, perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brother, and I count, myself not, count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are uh, behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Everybody look this way and listen. I hate to tell you, but you're not perfect. Amen? And I really hate to tell you this, but I'm not perfect either. And so these people were criticizing Paul. He's like, listen, I agree with you. I'm not saying I'm perfect. He said, I'm not claiming to have apprehended these things. I know I haven't. I know my imperfections better than anybody knows my imperfections except God. And that's my prayer most of the time. God, you know me better than anybody knows me. Lord, I know me better than anybody knows me. God, help me. Please help me. Because I know that I am not perfect. But I don't wallow in that. And see, the devil wants to condemn you and keep you under guilt and shame. Condemn you in those things. Look at your table and say, neighbor. Look over your left shoulder. Now look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor. Look over your right shoulder. Now look this way. And say, self. I ain't looking back no more. I'm pressing forward towards the prize. Amen. I'm not looking back anymore. Amen. So the last thing, and we'll close in closing. I tried to condense this as much as possible. 
Paul prayed a prayer verse in chapter uh, 1, verse 9, and I think it really set the scene for what he was wanting to get across to the church. He said, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound. I mean, if he just stopped right there, he said, I'm praying that your love may abound. Not your knowledge of the word, not your revelation, not your spiritual insight. Because see, we as Pentecostal, full gospel, praise God, we've got the Holy Spirit. I can see in the realm of the Spirit. I get revelation, hallelujah, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, praise God. i got the spirit of discernment operating in me. And we see those brothers and sisters in Christ say, boy, I got your number. I see what you all about. Bless God. Hallelujah. And I abound in the Spirit. Praise God. Amen? I mean, we don't say it, but sometimes we live that way. Paul said, now, I'm not praying that you abound in those things, but that you abound in love. First thing he prayed, I pray that you abound in love, yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. He's not saying don't use judgment and don't use the knowledge and the things you know to be true. But brother, if it's not just saturated with love, you're, you're wrong. Your gospel is insincere. It's not real. In fact, he says it's devilish. If it's not of love, God is love, amen? And if it's not of love, it must be of another God with little G-O-D, Amen? And so you start calling people names and stuff like that, brother. And, and, and oh, my Lord, say, that's of the devil? <laughs> Better be careful with that one, brother. It was a crowd in Jesus' day did that. And he said, brother, let me tell you something. Every sin known to man is forgiven him, but not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, he said this because they said that it was a Beelzebub. Because he had cast out devils and he said he does that by the spirit of Beelzebub. In modern day language, that's what they're doing over there is of the devil. Brother, you better be careful with that. Because God says, I'll forgive you for everything else. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to forgive you for that. Be careful with that. And, and I've, I've heard people do it, you know. In reference to yours truly. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'm of the devil. Lord, help me if I am. God, help me. Let love rule in both what you do and what you say, what you know and your knowledge. Don't get sucked into an argument about what you believe. Because they they want to pull you in an argument. If they ask you, give them an answer in love. All right? Because there's a lot of people out there, Christians, they want to know, well, where do you go to church? You know, use the first thing. Where do you go to church? You know, what? you're a Christian, yeah, where do you go to church? Well, that tells us a lot about people, and it, it does. If you tell me you go to the Baptist church and Methodist, I kind of know the whole history, kind of I know what you've heard, kind of what you believe and all that. But th- this crowd, they, they don't want to know it for that reason. They want to see what they need to straighten you out on. Because they want to get in an argument about why they're right and you're wrong. It's an arrogant pride about them, you see. It's a spiritual arrogance there. And so don't, don't, just don't get into that. I mean, know what you believe. Defend what you believe. But don't argue about it. The Bible says, be ready at all times. Give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that was in you. If they ask you, give, give them an answer in love. People ask me, and I try to bury love. and say, well, we believe this, and this is, this is why we believe it. But, brother, I'm not going to get in an argument about whether you go on the first day or you go on the seventh day. Whether you can eat pork chops, lamb chops, or no chops. You can't eat that pork. You've got to eat lamb chops. No, bless God, you can't eat any chops. You've got to be a vegetarian. I'm not getting into that. If you, if you want to eat vegetables, God bless you. You know, If you can eat pork, God, God bless you. You know, if you, if you do, you do. That's, that's, the Lord will work it out. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Amen? Didn't, I think I read that somewhere. I'm not going to get in an argument about the fruit of the vine of fermented wine. You know, I've got a position on that. I share my position, but I'm not going to beat somebody over the head with it and call them names because they don't agree with me. I'm not going to get in an argument over tattoos, hairdos, or shamu. 
So I just read an article, this, this same group that demonized everything. And brother, if you had a tattoo, you going straight to hell because demons is all over you. I'm like, good Lord, have mercy. And they got all that out of the Levitical law. It says not, not to mark your body. And then I could tell you a whole lot of things on that. I mean, I'm not going to go get a tattoo because there's some things connected to that that I don't think is necessarily good, blood gladding. And it's not so much what it means to me, but the guy that's doing it. I mean, a whole lot of those guys are into some occult things, you know. So I'm not condemning it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I do have a position on it. But I'm not going to go tell somebody they're going to hell because they got a tattoo. How can I tell? I don't know what's in a man's heart. And this, I mean, this website, brother, it had them all. They, they bound for the boogeyman, man. I'm telling you, it's like, holy Moses, you're glutton, you know, shampoo. You're eating too much. Bless God, you know. And I read in that same passage, the Scripture said not to cause your head to be bald or cut the corners of your beard. I'm like, well, I'm done for, brother. I don't stand a prayer. We may as well quit and go home, folks. I, I ain't no hope for me. I'm not going to get in an argument with that. Well, you women should speak up or shut up. The things Christians do. Go ye into all the world and preach your opinion. All the things you see wrong with everything. Seemed like to me, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news. And those that believe shall be saved. And whether they get saved or not, it's not just, just tell them. We're not to judge whether they got it or not. That's between them and God. And I look at this stuff, I'm like, dear Lord, how did the church get in such a mess? God help us not to do that. Let your love abound, yet more and more, he said. Not your positional statement and your doctrinal statement, all that. Then he said, let me move on, I'm going to close here. The next thing he said, and that you may approve the things that are excellent. Brother, if they're preaching salvation, that's excellent enough for me. Amen, and I approve of that. Less fellowship. Brother, if you're teaching Jesus Christ, and Paul said, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but one thing, Jesus Christ and Him yeah, crucified. That's right. And brother, we can agree on that. And it's through that shed blood that man is saved. We can agree on that. Now let's go. Let's love on each other. What can I help you do, man? I'll pray for you. And we've had, we've had two prayer meetings with the pastors in this region. I'm telling you, a prayer meeting broke out in here. Nancy, did you, did you and Megan go home early before we started praying? Were you we all still here? Oh, she's in children's church. Those ladies, oh, you got to cook breakfast again next month. I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> I'm hosting it again. But thank, let me just take a minute and say thank you, church, for giving me the liberty to just obey God and do things without forming a committee and asking your permission to see if it'd be okay if I fix breakfast for some pastors to come over. Because I've been in a church where their church government was structured so you couldn't pick up a nail at the hardware store unless you got a committee that gave you permission to buy that nail. And it was designed to do nothing. And it's like, thank you, CVAG, thank you. That I can just say, you know what, come on over, we'll host it at our church. And we can buy breakfast for them and I don't get voted out of the church because I spent money without asking somebody to feed some preachers for a prayer breakfast. Amen. Give yourself a hand for that. Praise God. Our church is designed to do something in the kingdom. Hallelujah. He said that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. He said, what then? Notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preaching. Therein I do rejoice. He said, look, I'm not, they're attacking me. They, he said, I'm in prison like things aren't bad enough. They're going to cut my head off like that's not bad enough. I got these preachers out here trying, they want harm to me. They're trying to destroy me. They're not preaching for, for the gospel's sake. They're preaching to add afflictions to my bonds, he said. That's their whole purpose in life. But you know what? 
at least Jesus is being preached. And I rejoice in that. Not being offended. Folks, my name has been drug up and down the streets of more than one place. And it was to be very easy to take offense. But after a while, he's like, Lord, search my heart, oh God. You search my heart. And as long as I'm okay with you, they can say what they want to say. It's okay. I'm not going to take offense at it. The last thing he says, be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. What is that? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the effect of the affections and lust. If they live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not desire vain glory, provoking one another or envying one another. Amen. Brother, it's so much easier when you just love folks. And I'm finding out that it's fun, too. Why don't you stand to your feet, if you would, please? It's just fun loving on people. It can be painful, though. You know? Because it grieves your heart sometimes when you see what they go through. But real love cares, you know, when people go through things. And they don't even have to blow on my church, and I care. You ladies are going down, I understand, to pray for the sister there, the other church. Just bear in mind, okay, and, and I'm not telling you what to do, but I thought about this when I was praying for the pastor the other day. Let's make sure we keep a spirit of humility. And, and I say that in the sense of, look, I know your prayers are maybe even more powerful than mine. But I'm just here to add my prayers to yours. Not like, praise God, the Holy Ghost feel people to come to the rescue. And I'm not saying you do that. Don't get me wrong. The Holy Ghost people feel people to come to the rescue. We're going to get some results from God now because we're here. You understand what I'm saying? Because the full gospel churches have come across that way sometimes. Like, we've got the corner on the Holy Spirit, brother. He hears us when he don't hear nobody else because we got it going on, you know. And God's just shaking his head like, you don't think I hear that man over there? The effectual fervent prayers of that man. Because he doesn't belong to your church. Those guys prayed for me and I'm like, you know what? They don't believe what I believe. They don't stand for some things I stand for. But pray for me, brother. Pray for me. I covet your prayers. Pray for me. Amen? Amen. Well, that's it.